hey, hey. <laughs> Happy holidays, heathens and uh, friends. This is Katie. Welcome to Not So Molly Mormon Podcast. So I wanted to do a little follow-up episode, mini-episode. Uh, this one might be a little bit longer than the usual mini-sodes, but um, this was a follow-up on our previous Christmas slash holiday episode about the pagan origins of Christmas. I found a really great article that I just wanted to read to you guys. It's a bit more in depth and I thought it was well written and really interesting. Um, This is a bit more nerdy than maybe some of you are interested in. Um, So feel free to just skip past this one if you're not interested in this topic. But I think it's super duper interesting. I like knowing where these religious traditions come from and uh, all that all that jazz. So if this is something up your alley, stick around and let's get into it. Okay, the article is called The Winter Solstice and the Origins of Christmas by Milt Timmons. And I think this is quite an old article actually. I think it was actually written in the 1980s, but I still really enjoyed it. So I'm going to read it to you, share it with you guys, you know, right? Like it, share it. Da, 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 da. <laughs> okay, here we go. Every December, we experience the greatest media blitz of nonsense and balderdash outside of a presidential election. Newspapers and broadcasters repeat their obligatory editorials about the deplorable commercialization of Christmas. They moan that we have seemed to lost the true meaning of Christmas and perverted it into a pagan holiday, and so on. The Pope prays for peace. Charlie Brown again goes in search of the true meaning of Christmas. Tiny Tim, again, leads old Scrooge on the path to righteousness, and we are treated to the further adventures of Rudolph, the littlest angel, the Grinch, and the little drummer boy. If Christmas had not existed, Walt Disney would have created it. We have been told hundreds of times that Christmas is a celebration of the beginning of Christianity, and then it all started on the evening of December 24th, exactly 1,950. 85 years ago in a stable in the little town of Bethlehem and everything will be slanted to convey the impression the eyewitness news was there to cover it. There isn't a word of truth in any of this mythology. So how did this winter celebration called Christmas actually come about? If it didn't originate 1985 years ago, then when did Christmas start? It goes all the way back to the formation of our solar system. It just happens that our little planet, the third one out from a minor star named Sol, spins on an axis that's tilted at a slight angle to its orbital plane around the sun. This means that for half of the orbit, the upper half of the planet faces the sun, and during the other half of the orbit, the lower half faces the sun. This causes our solar year to have four seasons. When the northern hemisphere tilts towards the sun, we have summer here in America, while those in the southern hemisphere are having winter, and so on. From our point of view, as summer approaches, the sun comes up a little earlier each morning, moves a little farther north each noon, and sets a little later each evening. Finally, at some point, the sun stops its northward migration and turns around and begins heading south for the winter. 
When the sun reaches the northernmost apogee, that is called the summer solstice, and it is the longest day of the year. The word solstice comes from two ancient words, sol, which was the name of a sun god, and stis, which meant still. So it is the day when the sun stands still. The winter solstice, therefore, is the shortest day of the year. It naturally follows that midway between the summer and winter solstices, there comes a time when days and nights are equal in length, and these are called the equinoxes. Equa means equal, and nox means nights. These celestial points give the year four corners. It takes about six weeks for changes in the sun's position to have an effect on the weather systems of the world. So, Instead of the winter solstice marking the middle of winter, it is used to designate the beginning of cold weather. The vernal equinox marks the beginning of the spring thaw, and the summer solstice marks the beginning of hot weather, and the autumnal equinox marks the beginning of harvest. Ancient people were very dependent on the seasons. That is why all cultures in all parts of the world have held their major religious festivals on these four occasions. In the days of the Roman Republic, the calendar was numbered from the founding of Rome, which, according to the present calendar, would be 753 BCE, and March 15th, called the Ides of March, was designated as New Year's Day. However, this was a lunar calendar rather than a solar calendar, so the months rotated throughout the year. One year, March 15th, might be in the summer, and a few years later, it would be in the winter. Greece and all of Northern Europe operated on a solar calendar, with the new year starting on the winter solstice. When the Romans invaded Greece in the 5th century BCE, they realized the advantages of a solar calendar. In 153 BCE, New Year's Day was moved to January 1st, since Janus was the two-faced god of doorways and new beginnings. Finally, in 46 BCE, Julius Caesar switched from a lunar to a solar calendar. He divided the year into 365 and one quarter days with 12 moons or months, all of which had either 30 or 31 days except February, which had 28 and 29 every fourth year. New Year's Day was still on January 1st. The major festival of the year in ancient Rome was called Saturnalia, and it centered on the winter solstice. When the Julian calendar was first devised, the solstice fell on December 25th, but the Julian calendar had an error of 11 minutes. <laughs> the year is actually 365 days, 6 hours, 11 minutes, and a few seconds. So by the 3rd century CE, the solstice had crept backwards to approximately December 23rd. At this time, the Emperor Aurelian established an official holiday called Sol Invicti, meaning unconquered sun, in honor of the Syrian god, sun god Sol, and also in honor of himself, since the emperors were regarded as the divine incarnation of Apollo. This holiday was held on December 24th and 25th. It is more or less established December 25th as the official solstice. All other religions that worshipped sun gods also accepted December 25th as a fixed date for their celebrations. And the major festivals of the Egyptian earth mother Isis were held on December 25th, January 6th, and March 5th. The earliest Christians assumed that Christ was born and was resurrected on the same day, March 25th, which was assumed to be the vernal equinox. Later, Christians celebrated the birth of Christ on January 6th along with the festival of Isis. 
By the 4th century, many Christians were referring to December 25th as the day of the unconquered sun, in defiance of the emperor, and January 6th was then called Epiphany, when either the Magi were supposed to have visited, or Christ was baptized, or maybe both. In 325 CE, which is when the Catholic Church was officially organized, it decreed that the resurrection of Christ was determined by the vernal equinox, which is still celebrated today as Easter, named after the goddess of spring. In 350, Pope Julius I decreed that the nativity should be celebrated on the same day as all other sun gods, namely December 25th. But many churches did not want to be associated with the pagan religions, and to this day the Eastern Orthodox Church celebrates the birth of Christ on January 7th, the day after Epiphany. New Year's has been celebrated at every time of the year by various cultures. Months have varied in number and length, and weeks have been varied from four days to ten days in different cultures. In the 4th century, Emperor Constantine established our seven-day week, based on Jewish tradi tradition. In the 6th century, Pope John counted backward to the presumed date of Christ's birth, calculated from the reign of Pontius Pilate, I hope I said that right, and renumbered all the years in history as B.C. and A.D. The year 753 AUC, which is ab herb condita, meaning after the founding of Rome, was then called A.D. 1. B.C. and A.D. are now being replaced, at least by secularists, by B.C.E., which means before the Common Era, and C.E. of the Common Era. Throughout the early Middle Ages, most of Europe disregarded Roman practices and started, continued to start the year with the equinox, March 25th. England, however, retained the practice of starting the year on the solstice, December 25th. By 1582, the 11-minute error in Julian calendar had thrown the, ten year, the year 10 days out of sync with the sun, which was very upsetting to the Catholic Church since the calendar determined all their feast days. At that time, the Pope was the most powerful person in the world, so Pope Gregory had the authority to establish his Gregorian calendar. He deleted 10 days from that year, which pushed the solstice back to December 22nd, where it had been when the Catholic Church was founded in 325. But by then, the connections with Christmas had long since been forgotten, so it remained on December 25th. Then Gregory modified the rule about how often leap year must occur so the calendar wouldn't drift out of sync again. The Gregorian calendar also retained the Italian tradition of January 1st as New Year's Day. England and America finally accepted the Gregorian calendar in 1752. The Christian calendar, however, is not the only one. There is the Chinese calendar, dated from the founding of the Qin Dynasty. There is the Jewish calendar, dated from the creation of the earth according to biblical accounts. There is the Muslim calendar, dated from the time Muhammad left the city of Mecca. And future calendars may well be dated from the time we first set foot on the moon. In a view of the connection between the solstice and the solar new year, it is obvious that the babe in the manger and the babe in the diaper with the new year's banner around his chest are really the same, a symbol of the reborn sun god. The sun god was always the most important in any polytheistic culture, and the winter solstice always marked his death and resurrection or rebirth. Some of the major gods who celebrated their birthdays on December 25th were Marduk, Osiris, Horus, Isis, 
Mithra, Saturn, Sol, Apollo, Serapis, and one I can't pronounce. <laughs> In Mesopotamia, Marduk was the chief god. He was a sun god who battled against the forces of cold and darkness. The world had to be renewed each year, so a new king was supposed to assume the throne for each year, the new king being free from sin. In theory, the old king was killed and sent to the underworld to help Marduk in the battle, but in practice, a good king was hard to find, so a criminal was selected as a surrogate sacrifice. During the end-of-the-year festivities, they recited their creation myth, then held military exercises symbolizing the great battle that was going on between the sun and the forces of darkness. Their surrogate king was crowned and accorded all the honors of royalty, but on the day of the solstice, both the surrogate king and an effigy of the god of darkness were burned in a huge bonfire. After the bonfire, the people exchanged gifts, held feasts, and visited friends and relatives. This was called the Zagmuk Festival. The Persians and Babylonians had a similar celebration, which they called the Sakeya. The main difference was that the masters and slaves all exchanged roles. For one day, the slaves were allowed to command and the masters obeyed. And in addition, they selected two criminals who had already been condemned to death. Then they flipped a coin and gave one of them amnesty. The other was treated as the mock king and then executed. He was not tossed on the bonfire, however. He was crucified, hanged, or beheaded. In Egypt, the death and resurrection of Osiris was celebrated during the solstice by leaving gifts in the tombs of the dead. They also brought date palms into their homes to symbolize the theme of life triumphant. In Central America, the pre-Columbian Aztecs had an interesting recipe for Christmas cookies. They were not made for children, but of children. For their New Year celebration, they made up a huge fruitcake mixed with the blood of children who had been sacrificed to the sun god. They made this cake in the shape of a life-size man representing the sun god. On the solstice, the symbolic god figure was then torn apart and eaten, somewhat like the Christian Eucharist ceremony. Yik, yikes. In northern Europe, the Druids and Vikings built huge bonfires on hilltops. The purpose was to give additional strength to the sun god in his nightly battle with the forces of cold and darkness. When the sun finally did come up a little earlier on the day after the solstice, there was a great celebration. In Rome, the most popular religion according among soldiers during the time of Julius Caesar was called Mithraism. According to their holy books, Mithras killed the cosmic white bull. When he did so, the bull became the moon and Mithras' cloak became the night sky with stars. The blood of the bull gave birth to all life on earth. After the creation, Mithra withdrew to heaven until he returned as savior to mankind. The Acts of Thomas, the Oracles of Histopis, and the Chronicle of Zugnin are books that tell the story of Mithra. They tell how a star fell from the sky when Mithra was born, how shepherds witnessed the birth, and how Zoroastrian priests called Magi followed the star to worship him. The priests had prophesied the coming of a savior for many years, so they brought golden crowns to the newborn king of kings. The shepherds told them that a blinding beam of light had come down from the sky and cut into the side of a rocky cliff. This beam of light carved out the figure of Mithra, who emerged full-grown and armed with a knife and torch, the god of war and light. As a sun god, his birth naturally was celebrated on December 25th, which was called the Mithrakana. 
Mithraism was a macho religion. Only men were admitted, and they had to prove their toughness. Their initiation ceremonies were a cross between marine boot camp and a hell's angels beer bust. They met secretly in caves at night. Their regular ceremonies consisted of baptism, whipping, bondage, and obedience training, blindfolding, escaping the bonds, finding their way out the cave, and a simulated death and resurrection. They periodically held a communal holy meal, and on December 25th, they held a drinking contest. As you have already deduced, many of our modern myths are descendants of these previous festivals, but our most immediate ancestor was the Roman Saturnalia. Saturn was an Italian fertility god, and therefore the god of agriculture. But as the science of astronomy and calendar making gradually improved, people began to lose their fear of the approaching darkness. So the bonfires gradually gave way to candles and decoration with evergreens. The Saturnalia lasted from December 17th until the solstice on December 25th. This was a time of feasting, drinking, gift-giving, family reunions, slaves and masters exchanging roles, and general merriment. The Saturnalia was the most important festival throughout the Roman Empire, and it had been going on for thousands of years, even before the Emperor Aurelian established December 25th as a state holiday. So when you hear someone say that we ought to get back to the true meaning of Christmas, just remember that the original meaning is a pagan celebration of nature. And when they go on to denounce the creeping commercialization of Christmas, remember that the week of feasting and gift-giving, climaxed by Sol Invictus, naturally meant business for merchants. So for more than 4,000 years, the winter solstice has always been commercialized. Santa Claus is a contraction of St. Nicholas, who was an archbishop of the seaport of Myra and Asia Minor during the time of the Nicene Council. He died on December 6, 326. Since he was a bishop of a seaport, he became the patron saint of sailors, and therefore of all travelers, most of whom were merchants. Later, he was adopted as the favorite saint of the Russian Orthodox Church, and eventually of fishermen, as far away as Lapland and the Arctic Ocean. Legend says that he was the son of wealthy parents who had left him a fortune, but his Christian beliefs dictated that he should give it all to the needy. His most famous story is about a poor father who had three daughters, but he had no dowry for them and was going to have to sell them into slavery. St. Nicholas heard of their plight, and one night he tossed a bag of gold into the window of the first daughter. With this money, she was able to buy a husband, but nobody knew where the money came from. The next night, he did the same thing for the second daughter. On the third night, the father hid in the bushes to see who was leaving the gifts. Sure enough, St. Nicholas tossed the last of the bags in the window and, when the father tried to thank him, he made the father promise never to tell where the money came from, but he did. St. Nicholas was frequently depicted as carrying these three bags of gold, and as the patron saint of merchants, this symbol of three golden spheres eventually became the symbol of the pawnbroker, a merchant who would give you assistance and protection when you needed help. Another famous story tells of a man who sent his two sons to get the bishop's blessing. But while they were sleeping in a hotel, the innkeeper crept into their room, killed them, and stole their money. God had communicated these events to the bishop in a vision, so the saint resurrected the two boys, whereupon the innkeeper confessed his sin and begged forgiveness. 
In the Middle Ages, the church had complete control over the government, and all drama was forbidden except for three types of plays. One, miracle plays, about the lives of the saints and their miracles. Two, mystery plays, acting out stories from the Bible and the mysterious ways of God. And three, morality plays, contemporary stories illustrating some principles of Christian doctrine. Children loved to perform miracle plays about their favorite, St. Nicholas. They would march through the streets in a parade led by St. Nicholas on his horse, wearing his red bishop's robes and his mitre, and he dispensed coins, candy, and trinkets to children in the crowds. This pageant still takes place in Austria, but in America, the bishop's red robes have been redesigned into a kind of pantsuit. The mitre has been replaced by an alpine stocking cap, and we call it the Santa Claus Parade. In Northern Europe, there was a god named Odin, Woden or Wotan. He was a warrior god at first, but later became a god of wisdom and the creator of man. In order to learn the secrets of the universe, Odin had to suffer, die, and be resurrected. So he had himself crucified on a tree where he hung for nine days. At the end of that time, he had someone finish him off by sticking a spear in his side. After this sacrificial death, he was resurrected, and he came back from the great beyond with the runic alphabet and the ability to read and write. Odin wore a large floppy hat and rode a white horse. He was accompanied by a band of robbers, demons, and cutthroats. And during a thunderstorm, you can still hear them galloping past. <laughs> Odin and his army arrive every year around the end of October in what is called the Raging Route. If November arrives during good weather, the next year will be a good one. But if the weather is raging, the year will be bad. During the Raging Route, the army of Odin plays many dirty tricks. And this is one origin of our Halloween tradition of pranksters. December 6th commemorated the death of St. Nicholas. And on that day, the Norse goddess Perchta inspected all the households to see that everything was ship-shaped for the long winter. The housewives cleaned their houses and set a meal for Perchta. If she approved, it would bring good luck for the year. If the wife failed inspection, it brought bad luck. Odin always accompanied Perchta on these tours of inspection, and since he arrived on St. Nicholas Day, Odin gradually became identified with St. Nicholas. In Northern Europe, then, St. Nicholas wears a broad-brimmed hat and rides a white horse. He arrives on the evening of December 6th. He is accompanied by the Christ child, St. Peter, and one small angel. When he enters the house, he gives all the children an examination. If they have been good, they are rewarded with gifts. If not, they get a bundle of switches. In Holland, children still put their shoes outside the door on December 6th, stuffed with hay for St. Nicholas' horse. If they have been good, the horse eats the hay and St. Nicholas fills their shoes with presents. In the Scandinavian countries, children believe that elves and gnome leave the gifts, and these are distributed on December 13th, the feast day of St. Lucia. She was a Sicilian maiden who was noted for her kindness to the poor. So in the morning, a girl dresses in a white gown and wears a crown of candles. She is called Lucia Bride. She wakes each member of the family by singing them a carol and presenting a gift. The American version of Santa Claus dates back to 1822. Dr. Clement Moore was a professional at a theological seminary in New York. He had heard stories about the visits from St. Nicholas as practiced in Northern Europe. These stories had been told to him by a Dutch friend, who was chubby and jolly, had a white beard, and smoked a long Dutch pipe. Inspired by his friend and his stories of Nordic elves and flying reindeer, Dr. Moore wrote a poem as a Christmas present for his children. 
It was called A Visit from St. Nicholas. A friend got his permission to publish it in an upstate New York newspaper. It was then picked up by other publications and widely circulated. In 1863, Thomas Nast, a famous political cartoonist, drew an illustration for the poem in Harper's Illustrated Weekly. Dr. Moore had described him as dressed in fur from his head to his foot. But Nast remembered that a bishop was supposed to be dressed in red, so he drew him in a red suit that was only trimmed in fur. Epiphany, January 6th, is still the most important festival, festival day in some countries. It was originally one of the feast days for the Egyptian earth mother Isis. On that day, in Greece, the bishop tosses a cross into the harbor and boys dive for it. Whoever retrieves it is assured of good luck throughout the year. In Spain, children put their shoes outside, stuffed with hay and carrots for the camels of the three kings on their way to Bethlehem. In the morning, the fodder would be gone and they would find gifts in their shoes. In Italy, children put out their shoes on Epiphany Eve, hoping, hoping that Bethana, their female Santa Claus, would leave presents. Mexican children also receive their present on Epiphany. In France, children receive gifts on Christmas Day, but adults exchange presents on New Year's. In Germany, when a baby was born, it was customary to give any other children a present to keep them from being jealous of the attention paid to the new baby. This present was called a child's foot. The Christ child was considered to be a new baby brother to all children, so all children received presents. A figure called Father Christmas sometimes distributed these gifts, or sometimes it was a child dressed as an angel who represented the Christ child. Russia avoids endorsing anything related to Christianity, Christianity. so January 1st is their day for feasting, family reunions, and gifts, gifts from Grandfather Frost. December 26th is St. Stephen's Day. And on this day in England, the village priest would open the poor box of the church and distribute money to the needy. This was called Boxing Day, and it gradually became customary to give Christmas boxes to servants, tradesmen, and others. Decorating houses with evergreens was universal throughout the world for obvious reasons. During the apparent death and resurrection of the sun, evergreens are a symbol of eternal life. In Northern Europe, it was thought that evergreens were a potent talisman for warding off witches and demons of the raging rout. So wreaths and boughs of evergreens were placed everywhere. Even the smoke from burning evergreens chased away evil spirits. So farmers would carry a brazier of smoking branches around the house, making sure that all their livestock were blessed with holy smoke. <laughs> In addition to greenery, incense, and lights, another good method of scaring away evil spirits was with noise, horns, bells, gunfire, and eventually firecrackers. This was particularly important on New Year's Day to be sure the New Year started out with good luck. Certain evergreens like holly and mistletoe were considered to have all sorts of magical properties, and many legends are connected with them. The wreath of holly was supposed to represent the crown of thorns worn by Christ, and the red berries represented the drops of blood. According to Norse legend, the son of Odin and Frigga was named Baldr. He was the god of sunshine and light. He had a premonition of death, so his mother asked every element of nature to promise not to harm him, but she forgot the mistletoe. The evil god Loki made an arrow and tipped it with mistletoe and gave it to Hodar, the blind god of winter, who accidentally shot Baldr. Immediately, the sun ceased sh to shine and all the gods tried to revive him. After three days, he was resurrected from the dead and the sun shone once again. 
Frigga's tears of happiness became mistletoe berries, and she kissed each person who walked under it. She decreed that the mistletoe would never again harm anyone, and that anyone who, would, who walked under it should get a kiss. The druids took mistletoe even more seriously. There was an elaborate ritual for gathering it that sometimes included human sacrifice. They also considered it to have magical properties. It was worn as good, a good luck charm and placed over doorways to ward off evil spirits. Again, those who entered through the doorway received a kiss as a seal of friendship. In some European countries, families made a pyramid-shaped framework and covered that with various types of greenery and decorations. Then they placed their presents under the pyramid. The Christmas, Christmas tree itself has no definite origin. Trees have been decorated and venerated since prehistoric times. Throughout the ancient world, it was noticed that wherever a sacrificial victim had been buried, trees and shrubbery flourished. So, where sacrificial blood was spilled, sacred groves grew. It was felt that these sacred trees contained the spirits of the victims. So when someone wanted a favor from the gods, they offered presents to the tree. In the Mediterranean area, the Cybelline cultists had a procession through the city during which they carried the sacred pine tree on which the god Attis had been crucified. This tree was then taken to the Cybelline temple where it was decorated. Attis was another sun god who was born of a virgin, crucified, and then resurrected each spring. During the Saturnalia, Romans trimmed trees with trinkets and small masks of Bacchus, also known as Jesus Dionysus. Sometimes they placed 12 candles on a tree representing the signs of the zodiac with an image of the sun god at the top. The Roman poet Virgil once wrote a description of how these trees were decorated and hung with toys. The Druids and the Vikings also decorated trees by hanging gilded apples and animal-shaped cookies on it in honor of Odin and his son Balder. During the Middle Ages, December 24th was called Adam and Eve Day, and the Tree of Life was carried through the town decorated with apples. So, that's the true story, boys and girls, and it's much more interesting than the commercial Christian version, isn't it? Happy Solstice to one and all. <laughs> well, I hope you enjoyed that. It was a little long, I know, but um, I think it's very interesting. And again, um, if you want to read it yourself, that was by Milton Timmons. It's just called uh, The Winter Solstice and the Origins of Christmas. You can find it online. I hope you all have been having and are having and will continue to have a wonderful holiday season, wonderful winter season, and we'll talk soon. Bye.